Hi, I'm Patrick Hollick. Welcome to a new episode of The Love Show. On this episode, we're going to go back to speaking to Shreni Zenzawadia. A lot has changed in New York City, and I thought it was a good time to catch up with her about... Last time we spoke to her, there was so much chaos and so much uh, patience coming in with COVID, and um, she hadn't slept, and I feel like it's wound down just a little bit, and we should catch back up with her. And the episode, she talks a little bit about... Uh, where it's at now, uh, the idea of a second wave, and also um, how to build your immune system, which is something we should all do. Life today is similar, uh, still maintaining social distance, a little bit lighter. Uh, I'm outside doing my walks and my hikes and motorcycle rides and finding how to, you know, just kind of be in these times and see certain friends. Uh, watching people use cars as weapons. Los Angeles seems to have this aggravated moment, uh, at least in my neighborhood, where people are driving at you 60 miles an hour in a 35 and holding the horn down while they're wearing a mask in their car. And you're like, who the fuck are you? So maybe you can tell me, who the fuck are these people? Um, The other day, my uh, liquor store guy down the street said uh, he was talking in between a piece of glass and he he was counting the change looking down and the person getting the change said you need to speak up and aim your face towards the glass I don't need it coming down and creeping through this little piece of glass Um, I think people are acting crazy some of them Um, tell me what you're seeing out there before we start I'd like to thank all you that have been writing reviews and sharing the podcast it helps a lot so thank you all the patrons and been very nice to help us support, which keeps us going faster with the edits and the and the show. So, without me talking forever, uh, I hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll see you on the next one. So, Shreni. Um, hey, Patrick. <laughs> last up? last time we spoke, it was crazy. And uh, how long ago? Like three weeks ago, we spoke about what was going yes. on in New York. Yeah, felt it feels like it was like yesterday, and it feels like it was so long ago. Mm. Like long ago. Yeah, compared to that, uh, where it was, I think we were in the highest level of chaos. I think you probably ramped up even after we spoke with a lot more. I don't know what happened after we spoke. Let's do that. God, I don't know what happened after we spoke. I should have kept a diary. It was (laughs) like, yeah, I mean, I just remember feeling like it was just insane for the, for that, for that week, it was insane. Or those two weeks that we, that, the week we spoke in the following week, it was just intense with all the paranoia and the, you know, got up, you know, all the patients coming in and the sick people and figuring out what to do. And the first thing, the first things we were practicing, maybe not working out and then different protocols in different places and constantly updating on, all kinds of social media platforms, platforms with different doctors, listening to them and what they were doing, what was working, what wasn't working. What did you learn about protecting yourself or uh, how are you intaking differently than you were then? The same, because nobody's letting up on, you know, we're not letting up at all on wearing our protective gear. Nobody is. Like, I'm still wearing the two masks and the goggles and the shield. You know, I gave up the Tyvek suit, that white suit, and I'm going back, have been going back to like scrubs and a white coat to look more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else is intact. No one, we're not, nobody has stopped wearing protective gear at the hospital. Of course. So 
we're staying ramped in terms of that, mm-hmm. like the way we were, we're not coming down. I don't think we'll ever come down. I don't know how to ever go into a patient room again and not wear a mask. That's mm-hmm. the thing we're all struggling with, I think. Are you power still explosive? No. So the weird thing that's also happening now is that because everybody told everyone to stay home no matter what, unless they're really sick, nobody's coming to the emergency department. So all the strokes and the heart attacks and the belly pains and the appies or whatever, no, we're not seeing patients. So the volumes are super low in the emergency departments across the country. Mm -hmm. So everybody's hours are now getting cut. Everybody's salaries are getting cut. Mm -hmm. Um, But the hospital is just now, you know, discharging people and having space. So we're in a weird place. The ERs are not that busy. The emergency departments are not full, not busy, not seeing patients. The volumes there are low, but the hospital is still slowly discharging people or the numbers of inpatients are slowly coming down. So they're still high, but they're coming down, but they're slowly coming down. And what um, percentage of the people that are coming off, they, they say when you go on a breathing machine or a breathing device that you have a very small chance, they say 70% don't yeah, get back. So what, right. like, I guess what it's like to start with a patient from A to B, uh, they arrive and then what's the, the, how long are they there or three weeks, a month? Um, what's yes. that process like? Right. So it depends on how sick they are. So I, I, I worked the last four nights in a row. So mm-hmm. I'm coming off four night shifts. I'm a little sleepy. But um, we had a woman last night who's 61 years old who is a home health aide, or I think she's a health aide in a nursing home. She really had no medical issues. She was overweight, maybe by 20, 25 pounds, maybe 30 pounds. And she came in very short of breath. You know, she needed oxygen. Her pulse ox was, I think, um, 80% on room air, and she was breathing very fast. And she said that, you know, she felt a little tired and I was talking with my residents and I, I was like, you really shouldn't intubate her because right, because the mortality rate when you intubate someone and put them on a ventilator is still at 70, 80%. That's bad. That means that's a death sentence. You don't want to do that if you don't have to. So is that what they're calling the self-induced coma or is that something else? What's the, the self-induced induced coma and the oh, yeah. machine? What's the separation yeah. and all that for us people that yeah. don't know shit? <laughs> that's all the we same. Don't know anything. Yeah, so if we put if we intubate somebody, that's the process of putting the tube into their trachea, then we connect it to the ventilator, then we set the ventilator to do the breathing work for the patient. In order to do that, we have to induce a medical coma. So we so keep they're not them, conscious, they can't respond, it's just like there's different levels of coma, so we'll keep them very sedated so that they will feel comfortable because nobody wants a breathing tube uh, in their throat and awake you want to cough that out as soon as you wake up it's uncomfortable it's awkward it goes against the natural way of breathing because the machine's forcing air in and if you're awake you're going to be for you're going to having your you're going to have your own rhythm of breathing which will go against the machine sometimes so you want to we want to sedate people so that they're comfortable not in pain and you know relaxed while we're there while we're doing this so in order to intubate them, in order to put to, to start the process of putting them on a ventilator, we induce them, which means we sedate them, and then we very briefly paralyze them so that they're not fighting the process. And then we put the tube in, we know what's in, and then we put them on a ventilator, we set the settings, and we usually keep them on a sedative drip, a continuous infusion of a sedative. And other times we all, we can either add a paralytic agent, which means we keep them paralyzed, or 
we just add another agent to keep them kind of very, very relaxed, very calm, and basically, you know, unconscious. There are times where you want them out of consciousness where people wake up, they'll blink, they'll roll, um, they'll move, I mean. What is um, that so- in, the, in the scale of uh, analyzing the, uh, the power or the sickness of the, of the COVID? Like, when does somebody pull the trigger on we should incubate them? What's right, that? intubate them. Those? That's a great question. That's a great question. So, so this woman I had last night who was very short of breath and she didn't look comfortable. We put her on a non-rebreather, which is the first thing we do. We put them on a uh, put her on nasal cannula first. That's the two prongs in the nose. We attach that to oxygen. It wasn't good enough for her. She was still air hungry. Then we put her on something called a non-rebreather. It's a mask with a bag attached to it, attached to oxygen. We put that on, and she still wasn't getting enough. So we put both of them on together. She still felt uncomfortable. Her saturation came up, but she felt uncomfortable, like she couldn't really breathe. So we did put her on a BiPAP machine. The BiPAP machine is the one. It's another mask that's strapped to their heads, and you're pushing air in. It's called positive pressure ventilation. You're pushing air in. They don't. They have to be completely awake for this. It's you know how people with sleep apnea go on CPAP machines at night. Mm-hmm. Same machine as the CPAP, except. CPAP is continuous positive pressure ventilation. So the whole night you're sleeping, if you have sleep apnea, it's on the whole time. It's continuous. BiPAP, it gives you a chance to, it, it's, bi, it's um, bi-level. So it's, it's um, on, off, on, off. It's got an inspiratory flow and an expiratory flow. So, but they have to be completely awake for this. Okay. So they have the to participate in this. They have exactly. to be responsive. And, yes. And is the the rumor, like, of course, I always have all these uh, information that's all over the place. It's like, is it still primarily older or underlying health issues or is it young kids and athletic people and it doesn't really matter, doesn't have a target? Yeah. So I think it's still too early to say for the longest time we were saying that um, it doesn't really affect kids. And then the New York Times came out with this article about... Um, these, or, you know, the article about the 15 children with the atypical Kawasaki's disease that they think may or may not be related. They don't know if it is. So, well, for the most part, I haven't seen any sick kids. And most of us have not seen any sick kids still. Most of us haven't seen any really sick young people, mostly. You know, I'm sure people can come up with a case here and a case there. But overall, no, not really young, healthy people, mostly. Um, so what the do woman you call I. young? What age is young to you? Right. So I think, you know, teens and 20s is young. 30s is still young. I mean, for you and me, like 40s and 50s is still young. But when I say young, I guess we really mean like 20s and 30s young, mm-hmm. you know. So the woman last night was 61, no medical problems that she knew of. She came in with her blood pressure through the roof. So maybe she had undiagnosed hypertension because she didn't see a doctor. We ended up putting her on the BiPAP and we had that conversation. Should we intubate her? Because she would be more comfortable if we did that. But we were like, no, not until the very last minute, not until she absolutely 100%. There's no other choice. Will she get intubated? So she did bet she was doing better on the BiPAP. And when I left this morning at seven, I did tell you know the next physician coming in. I said, you know, she may decompensate in the next 12 hours and you may need to intubate her. But right now she's holding on the BiPAP well. And that's, that was it, you know, that's all. And then, I, you know, I saw their stuff. There's um, a lot of papers out there saying that hydroxychloroquine, that drug we've been giving everybody, it hasn't been really shown to make a huge difference. So, you know, there's not, there's not a whole lot 
to do once people are that sick. Mm -hmm. Give them oxygen. There's a few trials of different drugs out there, remdesivir and um, IL-6 inhibitor. We talked about that before. Those are the things that very, very sick people are getting. But the, I think the whole point is not to get that sick, right? To stay, to be so healthy you don't get sick. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side, I have a friend of mine who has no medical problems, but you know, no, she has high cholesterol, maybe hypertension, and maybe she had a stroke. So she has medical problems. She's 54 years old. She was exposed to a coworker who got very sick and she tested positive two days ago. So she told me she got exposed to this guy on April 28th and she tested positive two days ago. So now she's had it for 13 days and she's fine. She's home. I said, how are you feeling? She's like, I have a headache. I have a fever. Are you short of breath? No, I'm not short of breath. I have a, she had a persistent pain. She kept describing it as a persistent pain under her left chest breastplate. So she's okay. She's staying home. I gave her a bunch of um, suggestions on vitamins and immuno boosters to take because she's, she's doing well. Her and her husband are doing well. She's walking every day. Um, so I have two extremes there. The 61-year-old with the undiagnosed hypertension who's coming in who takes care of a lot of elderly people who came in super sick, who ends up being put on BiPAP last night. And then I have the friend that's 54 years old with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, but she eats very, very well and walks, um, who had a stroke, who, ha who has it now. And she's been exposed now for 13 days and she's home, breathing well, no oxygen, just has a headache and intermittent low grade fevers, not even high fever, not like 103, but like low fever, like 100.7. So, I don't know when I think we're going to have to see what happens when it's, when it all works out. I have another friend who's a physician who's working in New York city now whose antibodies came back positive for COVID. She had zero symptoms, nothing. Wow. She got tested because the hospital's testing everybody to see if they have IgG. She has IgG and I, she doesn't know how she got exposed. She has not been sick at all. You know, do she's originally from Nigeria. Do they make the doctors do tests all the time? Uh, test ourselves now that it's when, once it starts becoming more common yeah like i'm supposed to get antibody tested hopefully in the month of may mm -hmm. only igg not igm igm is the one that when you have an acute infection it shows that you're currently infected igg means you had you had the infection and it's over so my friend who's working in new york city now and she's 58 years old with no medical problems originally from nigeria she's nigerian american um and she you know she follows a lot of homeopathic um, traditional Nigerian customs. So she was taking lots of stuff and never got sick. Hmm. And she's antibody positive. Wow. If you trust that test, right? I have heard that there's a lot of false positives I with those. A lot of people having a hard time getting their data back. I have friends that took the antibody test. So three weeks or more, and they haven't gotten their, their results back. And they're so every well time to call, do people. Yeah. So what, what, I mean, what's the hold up there? they the, the lab is just held up. I guess so. Yeah. They took these tests and they haven't gotten the, the, the results. Yeah. Three weeks is a long time. It shouldn't take that long. Mm -hmm. Not take that unless they're backlogged. Maybe they have so many tests now that they're, they over, they oversold their ability to like test people. Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of like jammed up. That's probably, that's what I would guess happened. I'm going to get antibody tested because I tested negative for COVID. I, I thought I had it like three weeks ago. I felt really terrible just for two days. And not really like for me, really terrible because I don't get sick. So I felt like body aches and, you know, I felt like I was short of breath going up the steps and I felt terrible for two days. I tested negative. 
I'm curious to get the antibody test just to see. But you, you've been working like an animal though, right? Like, I mean, in the, <laughs> at a certain time you didn't sleep for a while. Yeah. That's yeah. So that, that could be run down. Absolutely. could have been run down and just felt like dog shit, basically. That could have been it. Um, but like you and your, some of the friends you talk about that just want it. Like I'm at that point. Most of the physicians are at that point that we just want to have it. We want to have had it and the antibodies be positive and be done. You know, we're all wishing our antibodies, our antibody test comes back positive. All of us. We're just like, please let me have been exposed and be immune now. That's, right. that's I guess, everyone's fantasy. <laughs> yeah. So right now it's the, it's a bit of the storm has passed for now. Yeah. And it's just a little lighter. And um, are you seeing a lot of people recover? A lot of people go home? Or what are you seeing in that way? People on ventilators, again, are not recovering um, so much. I mean, people are recovering. It's not like nobody's recovering. Some people are. Some people are getting extubated. It just takes three weeks or four weeks for them to come off the ventilator. And we're not used to that in medicine you know that's a that's a, supposed to be a short process that's not supposed to be a forever thing right and three weeks is a long time for people so people are recovering most people are so sick that they're that they're not recovering when they're on ventilators but some are with with you know some are what and kicks in there is it just the human body fighting for survival when you're under yeah. in that coma your body just turns on and starts fighting this thing or it I just surrenders so. I, I think that's it yeah like that's stuff that you and i talk about that is like not scientific, but yeah, it's kind of like your will, your will to live, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you either want to live or, or you, and I'm oversimplifying it, so I really shouldn't speak to it so cavalier. Well, yeah, sure, but it's, it is what it is, you know, it's, it's spirit or what some people believe in or don't. There's a lot of people. That's that what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, that's what I think. You know, I think people, these, you know, patients can hear you even if they're in a medical coma, their mind is working, they can hear what's going on around them. And I think, on on some level, your in your internal decision to to make it or not make it has to play a role in how things work out. And when you're in the hospital in these situations, you're still not allowed to have guests or anyone. It's just you and no. the patient. There's no one allowed to. No. Is there even a waiting room? Do people even try that? Is it what's it like? It's horrible. I think that part's the worst when people have family members that they can't see or can't see them. I think that's the worst. I think that, can you imagine if no. somebody who loved you couldn't see them? It's like yeah. the most, most horrible thing. And we're still not allowing family members. And I don't know, they got to I mean, that's got to change, <clears throat> but I guess the fear is still passing the disease around. Like, you know, having people get it in the hospital and then go wherever they go and passing it to whoever they see. Have they been talking yeah. about this contact tracing, this little army that's going around uh, in New York? I wish I would love for you to tell me more about it. I I heard about it and I still have to. I don't understand it yet. I really don't understand it. Some people are freaking out over civil liberties. It's just like uh, the ability to trace people that are sick or near in the proximity. Uh, there's a battle between Google and Apple creating a software to help with it. Then there's the uh, the health organization saying we don't want help we want physical soldiers uh, i don't understand it yet i want to do an episode on it basically because some of my friends are giving me this you know shock and awe data but people get freaked out and read a lot of different sources you know it's like they could go in your house take a sick person out and it's almost like you know the guantanamo and the patriot yeah. act but right like people like- freaking out uh, i have a lot of conspiratory friends that are just like right. they're gonna come in your house and then what and you're like, I don't know, you know, let's, yeah, let's hear I don't know. Either. We have a I little battle going on with 
uh, our mayor and governor and the county officials. I guess there was corruption in the state of California in the 40s, and the county was given a lot more power because there was corruption in the mayor and the governor office back to the 40s. So these parks opening were really, really shook up the mayor and the governor's agenda. But the county commissioner, who they call Mr. Mayor, which I've heard is a woman, I'm not sure, who runs the county commission, said, we're opening the parks, fucking deal with it. <laughs> um, so these guys are like, you know, you're going to ruin this whole thing and we're going to spike. Huh? And it's interesting because there is, there is, no matter what you want to say, there is a political landscape and there is a media landscape. And I'm just trying to find the medium between all the sources because the media media might be very loud and fear mongering Um, um, it's just this fine line between the people that are like this is bullshit and wearing board shorts and you know saying like they're going to a demonstration about going back to work and then the reality that obviously when I talk to you this is real this has happened you've seen (laughs) it there's people that are completely thinking this is some political bullshit um, that's not not happening. So right. we have all these loud voices in our heads. Um, I'm definitely right. of the opinion. Yes, this is happening, and yes, uh, I'm worried for you know my dad who's going to be 90 next next right. uh, month. And then there's the friends of mine that are my age or younger that are still going. Maybe in December we can meet up on Zoom and have some sort of a party. And I'm like, you're extreme. Right. Um, so this like trying to find. The balance, you know. The other day, my friend called me. He was just disgusted with it. He goes, if it ends in November, it was all a political thing about the elections, and I just want to drive up on the people wearing masks in their own car and punch them in the face. Do you know what I mean? He was telling me, I'll punch you in your mask face the other day. So there's so much going on. Yeah. About wearing a mask in your car like sometimes i'm so distracted i'm like okay i'm going to the grocery store i'm gonna put the mask on now so i don't forget so i might look like an asshole driving around with a mask on just because if i don't put it on now i'll walk into the store and forget you know i'm not trying to make a statement at all about i'm keeping a mask on in my car yeah that sounds stupid right yeah and then back to god you said so many you made most so many points so then (laughs) yeah I, i heard that the first guy in new york was uh the the you know whatever case zero was was discovered. I don't I know. I have to read about news. how. Yeah. How? I mean, I don't know how they made him case zero. We'll have to read the interesting facts around that. Mm-hmm. And then the other things I've read is that not some people think the whole virus is a hoax, but other people think the government response to it is what the hoax is, right? Like, it's definitely real. I'm seeing sick people for sure. Yeah. I'm leaning a little bit in that, like, uh, you know, I feel like Gavin's running for president 2028 or something, and Eric, I don't know where Eric falls in this, seems to be a nice guy, but also a scared guy, you know, Um, it's interesting, you could feel the grip in Los Angeles, I've been walking ever since this happened on the streets, inventing hikes that no one's on, and just walking, Mm -hmm. and today, it was real apparent that the grip has slid, um, I went to the beach because we have this uh, this 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 ocean thing going on where the at, at night we have blue in the water that's really pretty, and there was twenty surfers down there. And I said, "What's the deal with you guys? You know, not allowed. They've given uh, tickets and arrested people for surfing." And they talked to the local sheriff. They said, "Look, if you're here past sun drop, it's not my fucking problem and my shift." So it's that's kind of awesome. like a wink, wink. 
Um, right. Because these guys are addicted to surfing, like, you know, opiate addicts are addicted to opiate. Right. They don't right. play around. Surfing is life. Well, they're surfing at night? They're, they're surfing, surfing at, at night. night to the moonlight. It was kind of beautiful to see humans doing things, you know. Right. My it big is. successes are seeing those guys. Uh, a <laughs> hug from a friend. These are huge successes. You in the got a hug from a friend? Got a hug from How a friend. Happen? The first time it was like, oh. And the other time I was just like, that felt good, you know. So <laughs> yeah. that's where I'm adjusting to. Yeah, I've loosened my grip, but I'm definitely not socializing and getting close. I'm staying the distance, but I'm not Mr. Mask and I'm not Mr. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and people come and point at you on the on the trail or just be like, you know, what are you doing? You know, we do. They want people love policing people. That's that's actually the scariest thing about this is how comfortable people are tattling, judging and policing Contact other force. people's actions. <laughs> what is that about? And is that just our society? Like, why are people so interested in what everybody else is doing? Well, there's such what a gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And you see it a lot on social media. It's like these guys just doing like, you said this last time. You said this last time. And it's just, I guess it's an easy position to live in. Just to, you know, yeah. judge yeah. judge, and, and, you know, anyone that's out there in the world is going to make mistakes. And what are we supposed exactly. to do for them? Just stay home and be quiet. Right. I mean, the gotcha police have been going on ramping up for a long time. You know, that's all they do. Right. That's how they spend their time. Hopefully, um, we'll get I, one today. We'll get a gotcha. We'll get, <laughs> you, know, you guys yeah, should not be. Yeah, yeah. That. she said this last time. Yeah. Um, I will say, I did see friends. We got together in somebody's backyard and we had lawn chairs, and our lawn chairs were about seven, eight feet apart. So we're in this huge circle. Yeah. Um, just facing each other. And we all brought our own food and beverages so we weren't sharing anything with each other i did bring my mask in case somebody else wanted me to wear it um and we just like didn't touch each other no hugs no kisses no nothing just we get we just allowed each other to be in the same space outside that's how i've been doing my my gatherings you know i feel like doing a few more of them it's just like there's this physical the human mind the psyche it's really it's it's a it's been a gnarly learning lesson of how certain friends have reacted and other ones have and yeah. it kind of makes you go introspective and analyze who's in your life, who's not in your life, you know, well, and how quickly you can just be irrelevant or gone. You know, it taught me that in a way. Like, what is what are my core friends doing with me right now? What if I called them and said, you know what, I got this thing, bring me soup. Right. Who's coming? Right, um, who would bring Yeah, all that. I've been yeah. in my head, but that's my thing. I like to, like, analyze the data, so to speak. Yeah, I said. I mean, for, I have, go ahead. No, I have, well, I have friends that are bringing me soup just because they know I'm working all the time. So they drop it off on my front porch and just leave the well, soup. Well, you're in the heroic out. light, which you should be. You're a yeah. f- frontline three hospital gangster. I'm just some <laughs> dude, you know. They're like the guy, you know. If I pass, they probably be like, you know, I told the guy not to smoke. So, so anyway, <laughs> what are we eating for lunch? You know what I mean? That's <laughs> right. Yeah, That's your legacy. Be- That's your legacy. Yeah. Um, I spoke to you a little bit about it, but, uh, you know, I've, my friends are like, have you heard that anyone that goes to the hospital with a broken finger is, is inspired to get a kickback of dough for saying they have COVID or did something? You haven't seen any of this inspiration from the medical and all that stuff to, to mark cases, anything as COVID. I mean, I'm reading a lot of articles about Medicare and like CMS and the reimbursements for taking care of patients with that diagnosis. I, I don't know how much truth there is to it, yeah. but there are articles out there about CMS and the reimbursement rates for, for managing that disease in the hospital. 
and they, they're putting dollar amounts on it. So they're sort of making it seem like it's incentivized. I don't know if the facts are clear on that. And yeah. I don't know, you know, I don't, LabCorp. We need to get that for our third podcast. I want to see some paper. Yeah, right we should talk about that. So in terms of, in terms of the, the labs that are, the urgent cares and the labs that are running like these antibody tests, they're having, some of them are having people sign waivers that say, we don't know if your insurance will cover this test and we don't know how much this test will cost. Please sign here. Give us permission. This is what you want done. And if you really want the test and you're signing it, it means you're taking the risk of getting the bill. Sounds so like my mortgage they company. They're like, yeah, you don't have exactly. to pay, but we want all of it. The afternoon of April 5th, you're like, go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're like, we might let you go that day or we might kill you. We have not written it in yet. And you're like, that's a good know. Glad we've been together for 20 years. You know? Yeah. So there's a, I'm hearing a lot of stuff about that. And then there's all the stuff around pressure on, you know, in terms of like um, what you're putting on death certificates, I have not experienced that. Sure. Um, I know there are guidelines. Like when I have to, when I do pronounce someone dead and then I have to fill out their death certificate, there are guidelines around it. Mm -hmm. But like anything else, like if somebody comes in, see, ER doctors have been dealing this with, we've been dealing with this forever because we get patients who come into the emergency department in cardiac arrests that we never met before that die. Right. So what, what am I supposed to put on that death certificate? Especially if the medics or whoever brought them in says we have no history, there's no family, no friends, we don't know all we did, we found him down. Then I'm like, hmm, what do I put on the death certificate? You're not allowed to put cardiac arrest on the death certificate. So that was a that was a weird one for a second. I was like, well, if I'm not allowed to put cardiac arrest, and they had a cardiac arrest, what am I going to put? I'm going to put uh, now I, I, the cause of death first line. I put cardiopulmonary arrest. That seems to be okay. And then if I know what diseases they had, I add them, diabetes, history of breast cancer, like whatever it is, hypertension, end-stage renal disease on dialysis. So whatever other diagnoses they've had, I'll put them underneath in order of which ones I think were most related to the death, right? So I don't know about this, this stuff happening in New York, and I don't know where else about the pressure of making it a COVID-related death. I personally have not experienced it, but I, so I don't know. I think it's other, U.S. Uh, the concern is in the whole United States. Uh, that's just another piece of information that could, could and could not be true to reflect right. a real panic, to get a real fear mongrel, you know, going. Um, right. True or not. Uh, how are you? Uh, are you are you looking into talking about phase two? There's a, there's a possibility of a big phase coming back in winter. Have you heard right. and talked about that a bunch? No, no, we haven't talked about it, but everybody but we know like when winter comes, viruses come back. Right. That's what viruses do. They live in colder temperatures. You're breathing in colder air. So then, you know, your what's it, the, the air, the lung, the cold air coming into your lungs is a better reservoir for viruses to kind of go nuts. But mm-hmm. warmer air, theoretically, you know, we don't get huge outbreaks of viruses in the summer months. Has it, there you know? been a new curriculum since, like, you guys were in this shock and awe phase uh, with the disease coming at you so fast and furious? What three weeks ago? Now there's a little bit of calm. In the calm, is there? new training or is there uh, a new structure in place for something like another another rush or no not yet no. maybe that this summer do you feel like they're all still in survival and confusion is that like the protocol um, yeah but less confusion and less survival because the numbers <clears throat> the numbers are going down mm-hmm. so i think we're going to wait till the numbers really stay down which probably be in the next 
you know, the numbers are really down now. Like I just got a report from one of the hospitals I work at that the curve, the curve started here. It went up to here and we're flattening out here. So it has, it's like this down, you know, in your medical opinion, why do you think, do you think it's the separation, the distancing, or do you think it's more than that? Is there more at it? It's, you know, it's hard to speculate because it, it could be everything. There's so many variables involved. How are you supposed to look at it and dissect out which variable was the one that helped the most, right? Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. And it is hard because when you talk about phase two, you know, people who've had the, have had COVID and have gotten sick are terrified of getting it again. I have an ER doctor friend who got it and she was sick at home and she was pretty sick. She didn't need oxygen. But she was pretty sick and her husband got it and he was sick. And, you know, they they won't go out to their, they won't, they're like not trying to go out ever. And they have two little kids. They're like, it would be irresponsible for us to go out. I mean, you know, now that they're better, like they're better now and they don't, they're very apprehensive about things going back to whatever normal was before. Right. You know, we're really scared. Cause the disease but, kicked their ass. Is that why? Or Yeah. And it didn't kick their ass in the way that like, they didn't have to go to the hospital and get admitted, but it kicked their ass in a way that these two were healthy people that will never really get sick that now got something terrifying mm-hmm. and very unknown. And they did, they did. Okay. How They're better. old are they? What age group are they? I'm mid forties, mid forties and yeah. healthy, like good eating and all that. Yeah. 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 So it's weird. I, it's hard to say. And you're right. Like everything you and I are talking about is there seems to be two sides to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever we're reading out there, there's one opinion and then there's the opposite opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think you were, you're doing the right thing by reading it all and really waiting, withholding judgment, but get, you know, getting all the sources, going to all the different sources, hearing what everybody has to say, and then sorting it out, because it's yeah. tricky. And also looking at the, the people on the streets, I feel like everyone's like, we're going to open next week, we're doing a soft open with 20% in our restaurant, and it really comes down to, do people feel safe, are people going to show up? Um, I right. see people in Los Angeles fed up and kind of hitting the streets again traffic keeps growing by the day it almost feels like today when i went on my walk it felt almost like the old days really yeah not as evacuated so wow yeah um restaurants and bars are the only thing right restaurants and bars like do you see yourself how soon do you see yourself in a restaurant or a bar i don't really i think it's just (laughs) about seeing good friends for a little while that you haven't seen or that have been really kind of freaked out in a box for eight to nine weeks um right so it's more like small gatherings at at home or your friend's house or you know like that's what we're gonna comfortable the dinner thing and the events thing i don't know when that's coming back that could be a long long time i know my friends that own restaurants are allowed to with with the health administration and the county uh, have, you know, if they, they retrain their staff about distance and they section off tables with distance, they could do these 20% openings, which kills them financially because, you know, they need to be a hundred percent to be losing money. You know, right. exactly. they need a big crowd just to be, you know, making 10 cents. Right. And that's, I'm worried about that. Our parks did open. Our parks opened up, I think a week ago. And, um, mm-hmm. That's a good thing. You know, our, some of our, our, we have, you know, I'm in New Jersey, so we have beaches. I don't, and it's hit or miss which beaches are open yet. Um, and the beach clubs, a lot of people in New Jersey belong to beach clubs because that's a Jersey thing. Um, they're, I don't know if they're opening. I don't know when they're opening or if they're opening because those were crowded, you know, crowded places with this strip of beach and this pool and this, you know, this restaurant and this like um, tiki bar. 
that's not yet on the table. Mm-hmm. So, unless you have your own beach house over here. Um, I don't know what's yeah. going to happen to public beaches. Yeah. So we'll see. So I'm going to check in with you again, but I wanted to see, because you were in such such <laughs> pandemonium last yeah. time I saw you. And yeah. now you're getting to sleep and you're getting shifts, which is like new, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, things are quieting down. And now we're telling people, please come back to the ER. Like, you know, where are all the heart attacks? Are people just stroking out at home? Are they having heart attacks at home? Or are they like just letting themselves get sicker and sicker at home? Because, the people, you know, we were like, don't come to the emergency department. And now we're like, please yeah. come. Please come back. Let us take care of you. I still and everybody can't even get a physical out. right now. Um, they don't want me to go just get a checkup. It's still no. No, because oh. a lot of doctors, doctors, outpatient offices are opening up here. Hmm. I don't know for physicals, maybe for emergencies, but yeah, they're, they are. I'm just like going for a routine checkup, and they're like, ha 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 ha. ha. Talk to you later. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's all opening. I think it's all opening here. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm eager for things. I'm like you. I'm I'm more eager. I don't want to put anybody at risk at all, but no, I am eager. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, you're eager for something semi-normal to come back. Yeah. Me too. I will, I'm scared of the numbers of depression and suicide and spousal yeah. abuse and everything. Right. It's going to be... Rampant. And people are on different sides of that too. That's also controversial because if you say to somebody, look, people... People are going to die because they can't make money and they're depressed and they're suicidal and there's child abuse and there's domestic abuse. And other people on the other side will say, well, would they rather die of COVID? And you're kind of like, are you uh, like, it's, is it apples and oranges or is it like, yeah, they're all in the same pot and they should be compared equally, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think people with money and, and resources, this has been easier for because, you know, yeah, a lot of my friends that are set up like that are like, this is what I'm like anyway. I'm like, it's so sad. Like, why be in prison and, you know, be a free man? And you might as well right. go to jail. You'll have structure. Your three, yeah, exactly. Your three deals and your... And I'm just like, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's anything to brag about to be isolated so hard. Up. But I'm a people person and they're not. Me too. I kind of, I need that. I need that interaction. I enjoy the interaction. I like contact with people. So no. I'll check in with you again and see how things are going. It's, uh, hopefully there isn't this second wave, but, um, you know, I want to keep in touch. Yeah. And you and I should talk offline about like um, immune or another time about uh, immune boost, right? Like the upside, like how to stay healthy and how to. Yeah. What are some quick it? tips just to end it? Like some things you would say. Uh, that um, the Institute doing. for Functional Medicine has a great website on um, COVID and I keep up with them a lot. So there's um, real common stuff that people probably already know about. It's like zinc every day. Selenium is very helpful. Um, vitamin D and vitamin A are very helpful. Be careful with vitamin D and vitamin D. Be careful with vitamin D and vitamin A because those are both fat soluble. So theoretically, there's a toxicity because you know you're not peeing it out because it's stored in your fat. But you know a little bit of vitamin D or vitamin A in your system is very good. If you're worried about toxicity you you can get it checked you can get a blood test but if you you know if you just take a little bit um it should be okay Mm -hmm. vitamin a has more um you know it can be vitamin d is usually not toxic most of the u.s is low on vitamin d because we don't get enough sunshine and other reasons um so vitamin d every day is not bad and vitamin a at least once a week is good selenium is very good quercetin it's which is spelled q u e c e t i n Mm -hmm. it's found in apples in high concentrations but if you want to supplement two or three capsules of that twice a day 
Mm-hmm. Um, magnesium every day is very good for you. Let me think, was there something else? And of course, vitamin C, mm-hmm. at least a gram a day. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling under the weather, you should take two grams every six hours. Wow. If you take it all at once, you kind of just pee it out and it could give you diarrhea. Mm-hmm. But if you take two grams every six hours, if you're feeling sick, it'll help you. But if you're not feeling sick, sick at least a gram a day. Great. Let me think, something else? There probably was something else that I forgot that would help. Um, I can write it, it in our notes. Yeah. And you should be drinking water every day. Like the stuff we know we're supposed to do, but we don't do. Mm-hmm. You should be drinking water every day, sleeping. Oh, and um, melatonin while you sleep is anti-inflammatory. So that would help. Five milligrams. You can buy a gummy of five milligrams over the counter. You don't need a prescription for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also helpful. I've uh, had the worst sleep since this thing happened. I don't know why. I go to bed at like 12, wake up at 4.10. Like it's the beginning oh, yeah. of the day. You should try five milligrams of melatonin. I bet mm. you'll sleep I think you'll sleep way yeah. better. I look at my um, my Fitbit and it's like four hours and four minutes. You're like, that's just a weird <laughs> You're like, why am I up? And can you go back to sleep once you wake up? No, I'm up. When I'm up, I feel like, you know, I already missed the whole day. It's a weird vibe, you know? Yeah. Like- it's, it's, I think it's anxiety on some level. Sure. Like sometimes I can only get up out of bed when I start having really negative thoughts about the things I'm missing or deadlines. And then that makes me get up. Those so, always visit like, me in the morning. That's, that's weird because yeah. I have that in the morning. It'll just be everything that I did wrong or everything I'm not. And, <laughs> you know, you're like, why is, is this movie play in the morning? Like, yeah. Let me have it's coffee like, and then you can something. hate me more than I hate, you know, anything. It's yeah. funny. All right. Yeah. So immune, get your immune going. That's something somebody yes. could do that's proactive. Yeah, it's proactive. It gives you something to do. It'll get. It'll make you focus more on staying healthy. So. Mm. Certainly not. There's no downside to it. All right. I'll, I'm going to hit you soon and um, have a good rest of your day in New York City. Yes. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you. Right, Bye. Bye.